All right, well, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles, please, into the letter of James, and in particular, James chapter 3. Now, as we know by now, as we've gone through the story of James and the letter of James, James is a particularly humble man. He's the brother of Jesus. He's an apostle. He's the chairman and leader of the Council of Jerusalem. And yet in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not boasting about his position. He's not telling everybody who he is or reminding them. He just says, listen, I'm James, slave of Christ, seeking to serve you well. He's a humble man. Could have said so much more, but he revels in humility. He's also a very passionate man, isn't he? As you will have discovered over the last few weeks, he is direct, is he not? I mean, if he really was your pastor, if he called you up and said, can we meet? I would be quaking in my boots because this man is direct in the way he talks. But he is direct in the way he talks because he's also a very loving and caring man. He deeply loves these guys. He deeply cares for them. He's bothered for them. He used to be their pastor. Now they're in the dispersion. They've been dispersed because of the persecution in Jerusalem. And he writes to them and he wants to let them know, listen, there's some things I need to talk to you about. But I want to talk to you about these things because you're my brothers. You're family to me. I care about you. And I love you. And I want God's best for your life. Because you're not just numbers on a list or a register. You're my family. And I love you. You're my brothers. And you know, as it comes to preaching through James and listening through James, I think that's something that the Lord would want us to know each and every week. Because ultimately, this is God's word, right? And it's important then how we view it, because we can come to it just thinking, oh, here we go again, something else I need to do. Or we can go to it on the premise of, listen, here we go again, God is going to address me, a God who's generous, a God who's kind, a God who loves me, a God who considers me part of his family as a son and daughter, and he wants to help me this morning. It's the latter that we need to come to God's word with. A generous, kind, caring, forgiving father has written this for us. And today then, through his servant James, he wants to talk to us about the two paths of wisdom. Which is my title for this morning. And we're going to read from verse 13 to 18. This is the word of the Lord. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct... Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Well, Lord, how kind you are to write to us this word. Because, Lord, you didn't have to. You didn't have to at all. You could have just made the world, created the world, given us the briefest of instructions that we would have to obey. But you didn't. You've written to care for us. You've written to love us. You've 
written to show us the way to true life. And so, Lord, as we come to the issue of wisdom today, Lord, would you give us ears to hear? Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts and open our heads to these words? Lord, speak to us by your grace. Amen. You know, one of the often repeated phrases that I remember growing up that would come out in numerous different ways at different times around the dinner table or around the family, um, around in the car, whatever it be. One of the often repeated phrases that I heard from my parents was simply this, choose wisely. Son, David, if it was a bad day, choose wisely. And I'd hear it all the time. I'd hear it when it came to desserts, Videos to watch, potential films, sports to play, friendships, school subjects, universities, where to go to university, where to move out to, whether to move out or not. The often repeated phase in our, in our house was, David, choose wisely. Two options, choose wisely. And as we gather around this text this morning, I can't help but have these words from my parents ringing in my ears once again. Because what James is doing here in this text is looking at us all in the eye and saying, listen, sovereign grace, choose wisely. Choose wisely. So he goes on to talk about the two paths of wisdom. One path, which is a good path. It's wisdom from above. It's a wisdom where it's going to go well for us in our lives where we're going to be blessed, where we're going to be favored, where it's going to go well for us in many different ways. And then another path, which is wisdom from below, that just leads to disorder and destruction. And he stands at the front of them both, explaining them to us and says, listen, choose wisely. Two options. Everybody in the room, choose wisely. Well, he gets onto this topic of wisdom then in verse 13 when he says the following. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, he knows as he writes those words that if he was actually there, present as this letter was was read out, that at least half the congregation would be putting their hands up at this point. Who is wise and understanding? Me! Here I am! Very wise, very understanding. He's he's full aware that chapter 3, verse 1, minimally there are lots of teachers, wannabe teachers in this congregation. People that want to spout off their wisdom, spout off their understanding. And in this tradition and culture, if you are humble, that would almost be looked down on. You think, oh, you poor thing. Wise and understanding? Oh, yes. How can I carry your bags? So everybody wanted to be wise and understanding. Everybody wanted to be shown to be wise and understanding and super smart. So he asks them, who is wise and understanding among you? Knowing full well, half the congregation will go, me! So then he carries on. Well, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. You think you have wisdom? Well, then let me see your life. Let me see your good conduct. The NIV translate that, translates that as good life. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the holistic, your beautiful life. You say you have wisdom and understanding, that's wonderful. Well, show me it then through your beautiful life. Let me see in your life gentleness and peaceableness and favor and blessing. Let me see your life and we will discover whether that is truly wise and of understanding. 
See, to James, all the way through this letter, words are simply not enough, are they? To James, actions always speak louder than words. So in James chapter 2, he talks to us about faith and what saving faith really is. And that faith without works is dead. Because he wants to help us see, listen, your words aren't enough. So you say you believe in Jesus, that's wonderful. Even the demons believe. No, if you really believe, if this faith is real, if you've taken Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, then you show me in the way you live. I should be able to see in the way you live that this is true for you. To James, actions always speak louder than words. And it's the same when he talks then about wisdom. You say you have wisdom? Me. Great. Then let's examine your life. And he leads them along a path then. Where he simply is implying all the way through, choose wisely. And he shows them in verses 14 through 18, the two paths then that they need to choose from. The two paths of wisdom. One path where it's going to go real well for them. Where they really will develop and develop into a beautiful life that everybody will be able to see. And one path that will actually just bring destruction and difficulty for everybody to see. And his premise all the time is choose wisely. Choose wisely. I have three points then this morning to help us get into this text. Number one, the path of wisdom from above. That's where we're going to spend our majority of our time. So if you just if we're going through this and you think, man, this point is lengthy, I'm dreading point two and three. Do not panic. They're a lot shorter. Second point will be the path of wisdom from below. And then finally, we'll look at the choice we all have to make. So point one, the path of wisdom from above, verses 13. And then 17 through 18. See, in verse 13, James has already showed us what this wisdom from above ultimately is going to produce. What it's going to produce is the beautiful life. A life of blessing, a life of favor, a life of peace, a life of righteousness. And in verses 17 through 18, then he pulls the curtain back for us on what the path of this wisdom from above really looks like. What, if you will, the fruits will be so that we can look on as a congregation and say, you know what, that would appear to be wisdom from above. And the way you're living your life and the way you're going about it and the fruits that are clearly emanating from your life, you're clearly walking in wisdom that is from God. And he describes them for us. There are seven things that he talks about. There's clear markers that somebody is walking in wisdom from above. And you can't tell in the English, but in the Greek, It's clear that he really, really wants us to remember them. Because in the Greek, apart from the first one, all the others begin with either A or E. The first four are A, the second two are E. And the last two even rhyme. You can't see that in the English. But he's putting words together because he wants this congregation to remember them. He wants them to know instinctively, oh, clearly that's wisdom from above. Clearly in the way that person is thinking, or I am thinking, that must be wisdom from above. But what then are the markers of this path? Two choices. One path, wisdom from above. What does it look like? He says this in verse 17. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Let's just stop there. This wisdom that is coming from God, if it really is wisdom that's coming from the Lord, then first and foremostly, it will be pure. Kent Hughes says this in his wonderful commentary. 
He says, it is most significant that purity is positioned as the very first characteristic of wisdom from above. The scholar James Adamson says it is the key to all the qualities of wisdom to follow, and others agree, calling it the overarching attribute. For the authenticity, listen, for the authenticity and intensity of one's purity always determines the outworking of the other qualities of wisdom. And so it does. Purity is just deliberately placed first by James. And if you can imagine this this entrance to this pathway of wisdom from above, what you discover is the entrance to this pathway has double gates attached to it. You can't just walk in. It has double gates attached to it. And on one gate, what we see is moral purity. To enter along this path, you have to be morally pure. Now, in and of ourselves, we can't do that, right? In and of ourselves, we have no moral purity. We're all stained before the Lord. For all have sinned before the Lord. And yet in Psalm 51 verse 7, we read, Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Isn't that beautiful? That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. When we put our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, He cleanses us, He purifies and washes us as whiter than snow. Well, the the, the left-hand side of the gate, you have to be purified to enter into this. You're not going to receive wisdom direct from God if you're unclean. But Jesus has made you clean. He's made it possible for you to go along this path. And then the other side of the double gate then is not moral purity, but devotional purity. See, Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, it's the start, it's the gate, if you will, of wisdom. I think the fear of the Lord... It can so often be confused. I mean, most people know that verse, but most people don't have a clue what it means. And they just get this idea of the fear being, well, fear, how can you be afraid of the Lord when He's merciful and gracious and loving? What do you mean we should be fearful of Him? Well, the Bible is clear what fear is. Fear isn't like, you know, what some small dog would experience cowering in the corner, scared of its abusive owner. That's not the fear that it's talking about here. The fear that it's talking about here is the type of fear we all feel when we stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and go, whoa! Or you're in the maid of the mist and you're going full speed towards Niagara Falls and you're just awesome. It's just reverential awe before your very eyes. Or when you stand on the front porch of your house and there is an electrical storm going on and all around you, you can see lightning and thunder and the rain is lashing down and you stand there just, whoa! He is massive! God is greater than I could ever imagine. He's greater than the nations. He's greater than nature. He is so vast, I can barely take it in. And I, in this moment, feel very small. Well, that's what the fear of the Lord is. It's reverential awe. It's standing in front of God going, You are massive and incredible, and I am very small and not that incredible at all. Well, to enter into this path, both of those sides of the gates need to be opened. We need to be morally pure, but we also need to be devotionally pure. Because as James tells us earlier on, if we're double-minded when we're coming and asking for wisdom, if we're standing at the edge of God saying, listen, I'm really interested in what you think, but I'm really also interested in what this magazine thinks and what Facebook thinks, he's not going to answer you. 
Because to enter into this path, we need to be fearful of the Lord and standing in awe of Him. We need to be clear that He's the Savior of my life, but He's also my King. And so, Lord, I'm all in. Whatever you want to tell me, I'm all in. That's the gateway. That's the gateway into this path of wisdom from above. And if somebody has got that, then it's a good sign. They're going to be walking along this path of wisdom from above. And so wisdom from above, it's first pure. And then, he says, it's also peaceable. It's also peaceable. And so with this wisdom from above, if it's real, what also comes to this individual is a peaceful spirit. So when you encounter somebody who's walking down this path, it's clear that not only do they love Jesus, not only all in for Jesus, but that's emulated in their life because they're really peaceful about things. And so it's not that they bury their head every time something comes along, you know, because sometimes that makes peaceful people as well, doesn't it? You know, oh, they're just always at peace. Yes, they ignore and abdicate everything. You know, that also helps peaceful people. But this is a peaceful person that, listen, they're going through things and they're going through even through challenges and big decisions they need to make. But there is a peace of God about them. They're not burying their head and likewise they're not backward and coming forward. This individual would be willing to make waves because of a biblical principle that they believe is at stake. They're willing to stand firm on scripture where they need to. And yet this person ordinarily is without doubt marked by a peaceful spirit. It marks their path. And so in Ephesians 4 verse 3, this is what this person is like. They make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Romans 14, 9, 14 19, they make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. And Romans 12 verse 18, they live in light of it. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Well, when somebody is walking along this pathway of wisdom from above, this is what they're like. They're peaceable. They're peacemaking. They want to keep unity, not bring disruption. They want to gather people together, not break them apart. And likewise, they are, James tells us, number three, they are gentle. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. They're gentle. And so with this wisdom comes a thoughtfulness and respectfulness toward others, people's feelings. See, even when you're walking along the path of wisdom, sometimes things need to be said, don't they? Faithful the wounds of a friend. Need to speak the truth in love. There are times when we need to do that before the Lord. And it's wisdom from above that's helping us make those decisions that we need to have those conversations. But what James is helping us see is, listen, if that is really wisdom from above, then in the way you talk, it will be gentle. It will be gentle in the way you're going about it. Likewise, sometimes in wisdom of God, decisions need to be made, don't they? We needed to make a decision. Are we going to move to Australia or not? We knew for a fact that if we moved to Australia... Our kids would not grow up with their grandparents around. We would never be there with our nieces and nephews' birthdays. There would be big consequences, not only for us, but for our family. So we didn't just go in and say, hey, guess what? We're moving to Australia. Why? Well, because we're called to be gentle. We're called to be considerate, thoughtful, and respectful towards other people's feelings. And I think when we're walking in wisdom from above, that instinct comes naturally because you're aware this is going to matter to them. This could hurt them. This could upset them. This could be a challenge. And so gentleness comes. It's not all 
But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. You know, I camped out on this one for quite a lot of this week as I prepared this message. Because growing up, at least for me, this is the one that I never really understood. It didn't really make a lot of sense to me. I mean, I remember, I, remember, I went to a grammar school growing up. So 11 years old, the top 10% of the county go to this one school in grammar school. So I got in. Now, you can imagine that wasn't a humbling moment. This was a very proud moment. I am in. I wanted to wear my blazer all the time, everywhere, to let them know I am in. I am the elite. And I remember being stood up on the stage first year, so it was year seven. We were lined up uh, across, the, across the bottom of the stage, and the headmaster came out, and he said, Well, boys... You are the top 10% of our county. You can be whatever you want to be. And it's all about getting independence, standing on your own two feet, and going after whatever you want. And if you stick to it, you will make it. Well, for this 11-year-old mind, this wasn't a moment of, oh, I'm so blessed to be here. This was a moment of, yes, you are darn right. We are the best. Did it promote then in me a desire to have others involved in my life? Absolutely not. I wanted to be completely and utterly independent. I don't want to know what other people are thinking. Why does it matter? What are they going to tell me? I'm already up there. Well, I think, you know, this idea then of being open to reason, I think it is one that often causes confusion in Christianity. And I think in all honesty, it's often one that confuses and trips up so many Christians still to this day. Let me explain. James chapter 1 verse 5, just turn there. He says, if anyone of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. If any of you lacks wisdom, so we go, oh yeah, that's me, then let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Here's the big mistake I think we make at that point. We bring our own understanding of what that means to bear, and here's what we do, particularly for me, having grown up in a charismatic environment. If anybody you lacks wisdom, that's me, well, let him ask. I will. I'll ask God. Oh, well, God can speak to me. He spoke to me directly. He's told me to do this. What's it got to do with you? I thought it was a one-to-one thing. That from here on in, it's just me and Jesus, one-to-one. And really, I don't need what the Bible says. It doesn't really matter. I've got the Holy Spirit living in my life. And I really don't know what other people are going to say to me because God has spoken to me. So what has it got to do with what they think? Because God has spoken to me. So it was me and Jesus. Where I lacked wisdom, yeah, I asked. And I thought he gave it to me. I had senses of things, so therefore I'm going to do it. You know, I think if James thought that that's how we understood this verse, he would want to be risen from the dead to stand up publicly and say, No! That's not what I meant at all! What are you on about? Where did you get this from? Because you see, for James, in his example... And in his teaching, there is far, far more to getting the wisdom from God than just Jesus and me. And so to James, make no mistake, he, he is aware that, yes, God can and does communicate with us directly through the Holy Spirit. He would say, yeah, absolutely, of course God does that. So if you lack wisdom, then ask, cry out to him for grace. And on occasions, he will give you a sense of something. And I think we've all felt that at times, right? You feel the compelling of the Holy Spirit. To go speak to somebody or give in a certain way or serve in a certain way. You're aware, I, I feel like the Lord wants me to do this. And James would say, that's good. That's really good. That's stage one. 
But there's some other things that you need to take into consideration as well. Because yes, God does and indeed can communicate with us directly through the Holy Spirit. But the Word of God, make no mistake, is also a vital part of that. So in James chapter 1, just a few verses on from when he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. He then says this in verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, what? The implanted word, which is able to save your soul. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. So yeah, cry out to God for that wisdom. But there's where the primary place it's going to come from. This word. It's this word. This is the implanted word that will save your souls. Whenever we sense God is calling me to do something, and even though the Bible speaks against it, I'm going to have to do it. You are not hearing from God. You've had too much wine or not enough sleep, but you are not hearing from God because he doesn't contradict himself. Ever. Ever. The primary way he speaks to us from this word, which is why James says, listen, the blessed man, the one who lives under the smile of God, is the one who gives themselves to this word, just like Psalm 1. And they meditate on this word day and night, just like Psalm 1. And then having heard and listened and looked intently, they go away then and apply what they've read. Why? Because it will be in their doing that they're blessed. Do you see? For James, it's not just Jesus and me. It's now Jesus and we. The Bible also has a massive part to play. And James, accordingly, would have grown up not only around Jesus, but as a Jew, he would have grown up with the Old Testament in his hand. He would have grown up with the Proverbs in his hand. And see, he would have also instinctively known if we're going to receive wisdom from above, then we need to involve others. Why? Because that's what the Proverbs speaks of again and again and again and again. Let me give you some illustrations of it. It's profound. Proverbs 1 verse 5. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. Proverbs 11, verse 14. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but with many advisors, make victory sure. Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of the fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 13, verse 10. Wisdom is found in those who take advice. Proverbs 15, 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 19, verse 20. Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. See, this isn't just one verse that we're saying, hey, listen, it'd be good to get counsel on. It's again and again and again and again. James understands that true wisdom, wisdom that is from above, wisdom that's going to send us down a path that will bring about the beautiful life. It isn't just Jesus and me. Yes, it's crying out to him for wisdom and listening to him and asking him to help speak to you. But it is also carrying that together with his word and wise counsel. It's like three strands of a rope that come together and that's how you discern, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to walk? What is this path you want me to take? I wasn't taught that when I was 11 years old at grammar school. I was taught that it was all about me. And sadly, I think in so many churches, although we're taught to be a Christian and that it's not all about you, when it comes to making decisions, we still think it's all about me. 
It's just me. It's Jesus and me. I'll discern it by myself. I don't need anybody. And James would be like, what? Of course you need people. And when you think about it, that was James's example. Law and honesty, that was the way he lived his life. And so it's Acts chapter 15. James is the chairman of the Jerusalem Council. Okay? He is the bigwig of the day, in effect. And here's what's happening in Acts chapter 15. What's occurring is Gentile, Christ, Gentiles are starting to get saved, okay? And they're forming churches in Antioch. They're coming together, but here's the problem. You've now got Jews and Gentiles together, and that's causing some challenges. Because the Jews are saying to the Gentiles, people like us, listen, you can be a part, but you need to be circumcised. You need to eat this, not eat this. You need to drink this, not drink this. You need to start doing all these different things. And these Gentiles, namely us, would be like, you must be joking. I'm not getting circumcised just to be a part of your group. I'm a Christian. It's by faith alone, through Jesus alone, through grace alone. I'm not doing all these things. They're just rituals. They're not needed. It's causing some real angst and difficulty in the church. So Paul and Barnabas decide that they're going to go to Jerusalem and chat to James and the council about, all right, what do we do here? How do we make this decision? Here's what James says. In chapter 15 of Acts, verse 28, he writes back to them and says, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, to lay on you no greater burden than this. Don't miss that. This is James, the same guy who's writing this book. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us for you to do as follows. You see, what occurs in Acts chapter 15 is this council, they get into the Old Testament together. They start studying scriptures. Lord, what is it that you want us to do now? What are the non-negotiables in this book? What is gray? Where can we move on from the different things? Lord, help us. They're into the Bible. They're studying God's Word. And then quite clearly, they're praying together. Because they're saying, Holy Spirit, guide us. Help us see what to do. And then also, they're sitting in council together. They're discussing things together, saying, well, what do you think? And what do you think? And what's your perspective? And so James pulls it all together after praying, after studying God's Word, and says, listen, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit because we sensed Him, and it seemed good to us because we've discussed it and sought counsel one another for you to do this. It was never Jesus and me for James. It was Jesus and we, and it always involved the Word crying out to God and counsel. Kent Hughes then says it this way, by way of application. He says, a man or a woman is in a bad way when he or she is no longer persuadable. In fact, foolish is the biblical designation for such a state. Yet are not some of us playing this part in our marriages or at work or in our theology? For the wise are always open to reason. And that's what James is saying all along. Listen, if you're going to walk down this path of wisdom, it's not only going to be pure, it's not only going to be peaceable and gentle. When you encounter somebody walking down this path, they will always be open to reason. They'll want to be saying to people, hey, listen, I sense God doing this in my life. What do you think about the Word? What does the Word say about that? Because I'm not too clear. I can't like, read the whole thing this week. So what's your perspective on that? And to be honest, what's your perspective for me in my life? Help me. All three work together to help somebody walk down the way of wisdom. We're not called to be independent. We're called to be interdependent. It's the way God's made it. Is that countercultural? Yes. 
But we're called to be aliens and strangers here. So that's okay. Wisdom from above. It is first of all pure. It is peaceable, gentle, open to reason. He then says it's full of mercy and good fruits, number five. And so where this wisdom, where it is real, coming down from above, there is an eagerness to demonstrate and display a genuine mercy and love towards others. You know, what James is talking about there is simply this. Listen, in your life, people will hurt you. In your life, people will sin against you. In your life, you're going to have challenges. But if you're walking down this wisdom from above, you'll be crying out to God for grace in this. And even when you are sinned against, if you're down this path, you will respond with mercy and good fruits because you'll be aware of how much mercy you've received from the Lord and you will then want to give it out to others. It's a wonderful and beautiful marker and it's hard because we do get sinned against, right? We do. As soon as you have more than one person in your life, you are going to get sinned against. Well, the path of wisdom explains, listen, if you're down that path, you need to show that person mercy in the same way you've received mercy. And that will reveal whether you're really down that path or not. And then finally, he says, this this way of wisdom from above will be impartial and sincere. Impartial, literally steady is what that means. You're steady. You won't rock from side to side, taking one position in one circumstance and then another in a different circumstance. You won't hang out with one group of friends saying, yeah, this is what I stand for, and then hang out with another group of friends saying, yeah, this is what I stand for. And they're two different things. You'll be steady. You'll be clear. This is what I believe the Lord's calling me to in my life. This is what I'm standing on, His Word. And so you're not a chameleon changing all the time. You're impartial. You're steady. And James says you're sincere. I love that. I mean, my roots are from the north of England, and one of the things you find in the north of England is what you see is what you get. You might not like it all the time, but what you see is what you get. And in some ways, that's what James is talking about, this wisdom from above, that it should be lived out so that what you see is what you get. You shouldn't be encountering somebody who's wearing a mask or feigning sincerity, or working in pretense. No, if they're down this wisdom from above, then as they're working things through for the glory of God, then they shouldn't be wearing a mask or anything else. They should just be telling you as it is. This is my life. This is who I am. They're not insecure. They're not struggling with that. They're not afraid of what you might think. They're just, well, this is where I'm at. Because they're secure, because they're walking down from the wisdom from above. They're taking that path. You know, that path is a great path. It's the path that James is certainly going, this is the one I want you to take. This is the one he wants us to have. It is the beautiful life that he's described in verse 13. This wisdom from above, it is indeed pure and peaceable and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the fruit of it all? says verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Here's what that means. He's really just steering us back to verse 13 above. He's saying, listen, if you walk along this path, it's going to be great. It's going to be worthwhile. In your life, there will be fruits of peace and gentleness and open to reason. You'll be full of mercy and love and impartiality towards others. Listen, if you walk down this path, you are going to reveal a beautiful life. It's going to be good. 
And it will go well for you because you are hearing from God and living your life in response to it. Choose wisely. But then James gives us number two, the path of wisdom from below. This is 14 through 16. Here's what he says. He says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So he's shown us one path, wisdom from above. And now he wants to show us exhibit B, wisdom from below. He wants to explain to us what it's like. And so in verses 14 through 15, he talks to us about the drive and source of this wisdom from below. The drive of this wisdom from below, he tells us, is jealousy and selfish ambition. And so in a wider sense, folks, what we're looking at here then is idolatry, isn't it? Somebody who idolizes things and has idolized something. That's why they're jealous and selfishly ambitious for it, because it's, for them it's insatiable. Maybe it's even a good thing. It's gone from a desire to a need to a must-have. It's gone from something that, oh, I'd really desire that, to I think I'd really like that, to I've got to have it. I need it. I I want this in my life. I I want to have whatever it is I'm looking for. Well, that's idolatry. It's idolatry at its very root. Tim Keller, in his wonderful book, Counterfeit God, says this about idolatry. He says, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if only I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. And then I'll know I have value. And then I'll feel significant and secure. Then he says this, I think it's brilliant. Idols are the things that rattle us most when they are threatened. Get that? Idols are the things that rattle us most when they are threatened. It's so true. Idols are the things that we're rattled by. And so we think, I haven't got an idol. Okay, well listen, I just want you to know that you're not going to get the desire of your heart. What? Well, I'm going to go somewhere else and find it. Oh, well, that sounds like being rattled to me. Idols are those things that when we think we can't have it or we can't get it or God isn't going to give us it, we just feel rattled. We can't sleep properly. We're irritated. We feel consumed. Because that thing that we thought we just desired, we don't just desire it. It's a must-have. I want Jesus. He's my all. But I really want Jesus plus this. Because we think in the this then we'll be significant or we'll have value or we'll feel security by having that. So I really want the Lord. I really want the Lord, but I want to ensure my bank account is always looking good because I want to trust Him and trust my Westpac account. Do you see how it works? Idolatry is something that goes from a desire to a need to a must-have to feel secure, to feel significance, to feel like they have meaning. It can be anything. It could be a boyfriend, girlfriend, marriage, kids, no kids, moving on, great house, extension in the house. They're not all bad things. But they so quickly go from a desire to a need to a must-have, and they drive us. 
Well, the drive of this wisdom, James says, is jealousy and selfish ambition and therefore idolatry. And the source of this wisdom, he tells us, then is not from above. This isn't God. But as you enter the gates of this path, the drive, well, it's earthly and unspiritual and demonic. See, what James is saying, listen, this is wisdom from above. This is, first of all, pure. This is saying, Lord, I'm all in. I'm all for you. And I want to be peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy. That's the fruits. But this side of the coin, this is an individual that is driven ultimately by something that they feel they must have. So they're not open to reason. They're not even asking anybody. Because they need this. They need to make this happen in their life for them to feel secure and significant. It's something that they really want. Now, in my inclination and when I'm spending time with people on this path, they never say they've got an idol, ever. But we can be totally blinded by it. And what James is saying is, listen, no, listen, if it's something that you're desiring, that this is insatiable, you're not even listening anymore, then that sounds more like wisdom from below to me, which at best is just from yourself, your old self, and at worst is from Satan himself. That's massive. And then he tells us the fruit of it. He says, listen, if you keep walking down this path, here's what's going to happen. Sadly, here's what's going to happen. Verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. The fruit of this wisdom from below, the long-term fruit, it can sometimes be very short-term and happen very quickly, but often long-term, The fruit of walking down this path of wisdom from below is disorder and every vile practice. See, it can sound like he's exaggerating when he says every vile practice, but he's just referring really back to what he said earlier on in the text about the tongue. How the tongue can be a fire and how it starts as a small spark, but suddenly it starts to get out of control. He's saying, yeah, this path of wisdom from below is like that as well. It can start off, you think, I think I'll be okay. But before you know it, you start to tumble over yourself quicker than you ever thought. See, I've seen this wisdom from below happen many times in would-be pastors and teachers. People that want to be a minister. They want to teach and preach for a living. And in, in effect, in a narrow sense, that is who James is talking to here. He's already talked about them in verse 1, saying not many of you should presume to become teachers, my brothers. He's aware that there's an ambition and jealousy in some just to say, this is what I want. I was even told by a guy once, Um, who wanted to be a preacher and a teacher, and I informed him that I didn't think it was going to happen. But even before I informed him that that I said I didn't think it was going to happen, he said to me, I just feel like a day out of the pulpit is a waste of my life. I said, well, that sounds like an idol to me. No, it's not an idol. No, it's just a desire. No, no, you feel like it's a waste of your life unless you're doing this. That sounds like an idol. You know, would-be pastors and teachers, I think this can happen a lot. People go from a desire, which is, can be a godly desire, to a need, to a must-have. I must do this. This is what God wants to do with my life. And they stop being open to reason. They stop listening to anybody. And when you're on a panel trying to help them, listen, I'm not convinced this is for you. I think there may be some things to work through in your life. What do they do? Well, if they are humble, they say, thank you. Thank you for helping me. Would you keep helping me? If they are arrogant, Here's what they do. Disorder comes. Because they start telling lots of people, I can't believe this church. I just can't believe it. 
they're not listening to me. They can't see my gift. They can't see what God is doing in my life. They're just not listening to me. And before you know it, with that comes gossip and slander and bitterness and difficulty. And they usually leave the church in a blaze of glory. And we're mopping up behind them what's taking place. That is what James is talking about here. That is not wisdom from above, from the Lord. That's wisdom from below. It's selfish ambition and jealousy. And you're not even thinking anymore. But what you've left behind is disorder and vile practice. But James isn't just referring to the way it works for would-be pastors. These paths he's helping us see, they're wide. They're for all of us. We're all tempted to walk down these at one point or another in our lives. And that leaves us then to the third point in closing, the choice we have to make. Well, he's shown us the two paths of wisdom. Wisdom from above, it's going to be a beautiful life. It's going to go well for you. You'll be gentle and peaceable and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's going to be good. Wisdom from below? Well, it's going to end in disorder and difficulty and trouble. His point then is clear. Sovereign grace, choose wisely. Two very real paths. Choose wisely. You know, maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't have a relationship with Him. Maybe you don't even know what that would even mean. Well, my friends, I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, to choose wisely today and to choose Christ. See, the Bible teaches us that God made us He was ultimately the one that knitted us together in our mother's womb. That He was the one that did all that. And He made us for His glory and to be with Him. But the Bible also teaches us that all of mankind, we rejected Him. We weren't interested in doing that. We don't mind a little bit of Him now and again. But we don't want to live for Him. We want to live for what we see in the world. But what tends to happen as we get older, just as human beings, we start to realize that, you know what? I think maybe there is a God You know, you start to experience more things and you realize, my, I really think God exists. And what we do then is we wrongly take on the wisdom of the world that says, well, if there is a God, I guess because of my past I need to appease Him, so here's what I'll do. I'll just live a better life. I'll start doing good. I'll start doing charity. Hey, I might even go to church like Christmas and Easter and do stuff. And I was very nice to my mom last week. We start to find ways of how can we be nice and good to people. That's the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world recognizes more often than not that there is a gap between me and God that I need to fill. Wisdom of the world says, well, just be better. Just be good and you'll get there. How many funerals have you gone to when they stand up at the end during the eulogies and say, yeah, you know, this person, they were just terrible. Oh, I, a horrible person. No, you would think we're burying Jesus every time. Every time. Every time. You just think, well, this is clearly the best person that's ever lived. It's incredible. And the priest or the father or whatever it be will usually stand up at the end and say, yes, this person has clearly been a wonderful person. So in the sure and certain hope that we will see them again. And you sit there and you think, The wisdom of the world lies to us that if I can just do better, if I can just be good, I'll get there. And yet the wisdom of the Bible says that sadly, in and of ourselves, we'll never actually get there. Romans 3 verse 23 says, All have sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God. James emphasizes it in chapter 2, verse 10, when he says, For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. So we're all in the natural transgressors. We're all in the natural lawbreakers. We can't just do a little bit better hoping that we're going to get there. It's like me saying to you, lesson, yes, yes, you can get saved as long as you can jump between here and the moon in one go. That's the only way. Is it worth trying? We can't get there in and of ourselves. But the wisdom of the Bible in John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. My friends, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then choose wisely today and choose Christ. You can never get back to God by yourself. You can never be forgiven of your sin and redeemed and justified and adopted into the family of God and know that heaven is your home, yourself. You can't do it. And that's why God the Son came after you. He lived a life that you couldn't live. He died a death that you deserved. And he made it possible saying, listen, if you believe in me, if you put your faith in me as the Savior and as the King, then I will save you. I did that when I was 20 years old and have never looked back. I urge you to do it today. Choose wisely and choose Christ. And then, by the grace of God and for the glory of God, join us as believers in walking along this path of wisdom from above. Because, my friends, that's how we apply this message. We get up knowing James wants us to choose. And we choose wisely the path of wisdom from above. For if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. They will enter into the gates through moral purity and devotional purity. And in it, as they walk, crying out to God for wisdom, what you'll see in their lives is gentleness and peaceableness. They'll be open to reason. They'll be full of mercy and good fruits. They'll be impartial and sincere. They will live the beautiful life as they walk down that path. It's a sovereign grace. Choose wisely. Let's pray. Lord, how kind you are to speak to us in a way that is so clear and also so caring. Lord, James is speaking to brothers here. He's speaking to family and he's trying to care for us as family. And Lord, behind his voice, we recognize your voice. Your voice seeking to help us so that it may well go well in our lives. And so Lord, would you bless us? Lord, as we choose wisely, would we choose you? Would we walk down this path of wisdom from above and would the beautiful life be ours? Help us, Lord, by your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen.